Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Audible Originals presents a James Patterson audio drama, The Guilty, by James Patterson and Dwayne Swarzynski, starring John Lithgow. Episode one. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. James Patterson is back at it again with a thrilling murder mystery. His latest audio drama is called The Guilty, and you can find it exclusively on Audible starting tomorrow. With us is the star of the show, John Lithgow. He's a decorated stage and screen veteran who you may know from The Crown, Dexter, or Perry Mason. Of his 21 awards and 66 nominations, he's won two Tonys, six Emmys, and two Golden Globes. He's also been nominated for two Oscars and four Grammys. Whew, that's a mouthful. John Lithgow, thank you so much for joining us on Reset. Thank you, Sasha. Great to be here. This latest Patterson thriller, it really has us on the edge of our seats, John, and your performance is gripping. Tell us how you got involved in the project. Well, they asked and I said yes, in a word. <laughs> uh, it, it was it was such an exciting and out there proposition. I read the script and I thought, wow, this is wonderful. Uh, what was exciting about it was they were inviting me back into the world of old time radio, which uh, it, it's terrible to call it old time because <laughs> it's, it's evergreen. Uh, but people have to be reminded of that. Uh, it's incredibly gripping. All you have to do is sit and listen. So, so tell us more about your experience. Now you're being directed for an audio drama. That's different. Well, not so different. I've done a, a huge amount of audio drama over the years, uh, surprisingly enough. I, I mean, it never really died. It just hasn't become nearly as popular as, as Audible has made it. Uh, the, the recording I did was during the lockdown, so I had to kind of sneak into the sound studio. I drove up to the alley and went in the back door uh they rang me in, and I say they. It was just me and the sound engineer, me in the in the recording booth, and he at the uh, controls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just spent hours. I, I was directed. Both the writer and the director were on Zoom, I believe, from Chicago, in fact, and and they also had with them an actress who uh, who did a great job of just feeding me everybody else's lines. Oh, That's okay. an, a- an answer to another of your questions. I didn't, act, I didn't actually act with any of these fantastic actors, but it certainly sounds like I did. That is and, so cool. And, and, and it was great because among these seven or eight actors were two really good friends of mine whom I'd worked with before and several whom I've always wanted to work with. Just an incredibly high level of of talent on this. And I was informed of it the day I showed up to record. I didn't even know that Danny Burstein and Peter Gallagher and and Julie White, these wonderful people would be acting with me. It's a top secret operation, it sounds like. Yeah. Well, how does your approach to the role change then when you're just there with a microphone in front of you, just you and a sound engineer, and it's not a camera that you're in front of and a full audience in a theater? Well, I do pretty much the same thing. Uh, 
it's you just you kind of fling yourself into it. I mean, it was there was no read through beforehand. There was no rehearsal. We of course just chatted about the nature of the show and this extraordinary character, Osmond Box, and to what degree was he uh, 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 a ham I mean, he's a very flamboyant and theatrical character, uh, although you absolutely had to keep it real. It's a very, very implausible premise. He's basically staging a, a play that hasn't even been written yet, with actors who didn't even know they'd been cast in it for a Broadway opening night performance. Uh, this thing never has nor ever could happen, but we did it with such conviction and they produced it so expertly that it, it sort of created a completely plausible premise for this crime drama. Mm -hmm. They announced very early on a murder will take place in front of an audience. And then from that moment on, just as you said, Everybody's on the edge of their seats listening. Well, speaking of your character, Osmond Box, who's both charming and troubling, it sounds like, here's a little taste. And prepare for a thriller the likes of which has never graced the stage. In fact, at the risk of sounding immodest, you're about to have an experience you'll be talking about for years. Well, Box was right about one thing. People are going to be talking about this night for a long time. Well, I'm certainly never going to forget it. Uh -uh. <laughs> you actually sound happy about that. <laughs> well, no spoilers, of course, John, but tell us the most challenging piece to actually get right about this character. You know, Sasha, I can't tell you. <laughs> it, there, there are so many surprises that I, I have to be very coy and not reveal anything. But there is a particular challenge and if someone listens to the uh to the drama from the very beginning to the uh, to the very end and that's about three and a half hours of radio they'll know what i'm talking about <laughs> there are all sorts of surprises sprung and it really does require some uh some deft acting from all of us as you said, the guilty is, is fascinating because the story is set inside the famed Schubert Theater. Let's listen. Be there in a flash. Uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, uh, ladies, and, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Peter Rurick. You, of course, huh? you know your way around a theater, John. So how did the setting affect your performance in this one? Well, it's it, it certainly, I, I remember all sorts of big entrances on Broadway over the last 40 years. Uh, this is a moment when I'm introducing a big, big star to the audience. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, it's like uh, suddenly surprising people by inviting Al Pacino onto the stage or something. <laughs> and, and this is Peter Rurick, who's played by Peter Gallagher, who's, uh, uh, who ain't chicken liver himself. Uh, and even that little, that little clip you've just played, it shows how wonderfully produced this is. There are only three settings, I believe, the a dressing room on stage in front of an audience and a rehearsal room in flashback. But the soundscape 
takes you from one place to another. It just it's like the sound engineers are are, are storytellers too. They are. They're they're truly. I think they're magicians. <laughs> to be honest, yeah. uh, I yeah. hear. I, I couldn't help but hear you chuckle after each of those clips. What's it like hearing how it all came together? It's wonderful. Actually, I have to tell you, I only just got the 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 link and have listened to only half of it. I do know what happens at the end, but uh, I can't wait to hear the rest. You're clearly versatile. You, you've played everything from an alien on Third Rock from the Sun to a serial killer on Dexter to Winston Churchill, and those are just a few of your TV roles. So how do you decide when to take on a role? What, what actually goes into that decision-making process for you? Well, I don't do quite as much deciding as you may think. My days are not sort of cluttered with offers. Uh, when, I, when there's something good and there are good people involved, I tend to say yes, because those, those moments don't come along very often. Uh, the trouble is when, you, when you're offered something half good and you have, to, you have to discuss it with the director, even though you may still turn it down, mm-hmm. uh, this was this was a slam dunk. I mean, for one thing, radio drama is so easy. You just you just show up and nobody realizes or cares whether you've learned your lines. Uh, so I would wouldn't have dreamed to, uh, of turning this down. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are speaking with critically acclaimed stage and screen actor John Lithgow about his role in James Patterson's latest audio drama, The Guilty. You may know him as Dr. Dick Solomon, the Trinity Killer, Winston Churchill, Smith Keen from The Pelican Brief, Alfred Kinsey, the list goes on and on. John, a lot of actors, they find that they get pigeonholed into particular types of roles. Did you ever feel that happening to you at any stage of your career? Not really. I, I mean, there was a period when I was, I went from one kind of dime store villain after another, uh, Ricochet and Cliffhanger and one or two others. And I, I began to be a little concerned about that. But then along came Third Rock from the Sun. And uh, it, it was it was this incredible breath of fresh air, uh, and some, not something I ever expected to do, uh, a TV sitcom. But this one it was created by two really good friends of mine, and they tailored it to me. They themselves wouldn't have done it if I hadn't done it. So uh, I was very involved in the creative process. The premise just captivated me from the get-go, and it just gave me an opportunity to just make people laugh and make myself laugh for six years. And after that, you know, when I first became well-known as an actor, it was in the early 80s when I went from a New York theater actor to an L.A. actor, and I did a string of movies in the first two years I was there. Uh, World According to Garp, the Twilight Zone movie, uh, Terms of Endearment, Footloose, and Buckaroo Banzai, Mm -hmm. this crazy range of roles, and World According to Garp, of course. Uh, where I played Roberta Muldoon, a transsexual football player. Uh, so right away, when people got to know me, they got to know very many different facets, a very, very uh, a wide range of things that I was ready, willing, and able to play. And 
So, you know, they, uh, nobody tries to pigeonhole you. You just get extremely well-known mm-hmm. for one thing. I became extremely well-known for doing many things. So my whole career since then, I'm, I'm surprised myself by the things that are offered to me. What about that role as Winston Churchill on The Crown, which was brilliant? Mm-hmm, exactly. I mean, I never would have dreamed I'd end up playing Winston Churchill. It was the bright idea of Peter Morgan and Stephen Daldry and a, uh, a, a great uh, casting director in, in England. And I was just amazed that they would offer that to me. But I said yes in a second. What type of research did you do for that role? I did loads and loads of reading, and I found lots and lots of video. And once I got to England, I, I visited Chartwell, his country home, and I tended to make little uh, little trips to, like, the Imperial War Museum. Uh, it was more research than I even needed to do. Mainly, it, I only did it because it was just so fascinating, endlessly fascinating, man. But all the really hard work was done by Peter Morgan and and his staff. We had wonderful historical consultants. We had 10 days of rehearsal where we barely even read the scenes. We just we just plunged plunged into the history. Well, here's a plot twist. Along with your very accomplished acting career, John, you've also published nine best-selling children's books. What? <laughs> I had no idea. Can you tell us more about that work? Yeah, I mean, that that was, you have not heard of this because you're not three to eight years old. <laughs> uh, that, that's been sort But of I'm a my, mother, John, and, and I did not know. My, my kids are not three to eight anymore, but still, it wasn't that long ago. They? They're 13 and 14. So it wasn't uh, that yes. long ago. Yeah, I know. Well, I missed my chance to enlist them. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, actually, my last children's book was about maybe seven or eight years ago. They're still available and they're still wonderful. But uh, they, I, I say that because I worked with great illustrators. And of those nine, all but one or two are pieces that I actually performed the lyrics to songs that I wrote or the narration for a child's guard to the orchestra suite or even the narration of a ballet for the New York City Ballet, a book called Carnival of the Animals. Uh, It was just a wonderful sideline for about a dozen years there. Uh, A lot of it came out of the fact that I have always entertained children, entertained my own children, Mm -hmm. and that, that all turned into a sort of concert career, even with major orchestras. But as I say, kids and their and their parents knew about me, but not a lot of other adults. They knew me as things like Roberta Muldoon and the, and the Trinity Killer, which would have completely bewildered little children. Right, right. Well, as you know, we are speaking to you from Chicago, of course, an improv town, a theater town. Increasingly, we are seeing a lot of movies being shot here, so that mm-hmm. means... Out there in our listening audience right now, chances are that there's an aspiring actor or a performer uh, hearing the show. What do you say, John, to younger folks who are trying to break into the entertainment industry? 
Well, I, there's a couple of standard things I tell them. First of all, I tell them to do as much theater as they can because that's where you really learn who you are as an actor. And Chicago is a, an absolutely great theater town. I mean, there's a whole school of acting, which I consider the Chicago school, Steppenwolf and the Goodman and all those other wonderful theaters you have. But mainly what I tell young people is, first of all, get a good education, including a college education. Don't necessarily study acting early on. You can do plenty of it extracurricular. Uh, and then go to drama school after you've got yourself educated, if, you, if, you're still, if it still captivates you. But the most important thing is find other creative things in your life that you can do when you're waiting around for somebody to hire you, because that's the hardest thing about the, uh, the acting profession. You need somebody to want you mm-hmm. and, and you can feel very unwanted from time to time. So, you know, you, you find, you know, do something else, uh, take art classes or tap dance classes or write, or if you really want to play a part, produce it yourself or try directing Give yourself projects to aim for. Create a project that you work are working toward. Chances are you'll never be able to achieve it because somebody will hire you to act, and you'll finally get to do what you wanted to do all along. But it's so important to keep your creative juices flowing. And, you know, I'm 75 years old, and I'm still following that my own advice. You know, keep Keep yourself creative yeah. outside the acting profession. And if who knows? I mean, you may find yourself a great director or a great playwright. That is such amazing advice. Um, let's look ahead. I know you recently reprised your role as Arthur Miller, a.k.a. the Trinity Killer, for the show Dexter New Blood. Uh, the miniseries premieres next month, on November 7th, to be exact. What can viewers expect to see from your character and from the show as a whole? Well, they can't expect to see much. I make, I make an appearance, and I'm not going to tell you anything about it, except that it will scare the hell out of you, which <laughs> okay. was my, my entire uh, job of work on Dexter. Uh, it is going to be, it's Dexter, all right. Michael C. Hall, Jennifer Carpenter is in it. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of the characters will, will reappear here and there, but in most ways. It's going to be all brand new. There's a brilliant writer, producer, Clive Phillips, who Clyde was the showrunner when I did my fourth season of Dexter. I got to know him very well. and He's a brilliant storyteller. He knows how to surprise and scare a national TV audience better than anybody. And he's created a a very, very different uh, setting and context and story for Dexter. So it's not going to be warmed over 2010 by any means. Mm -hmm. Do you have any other upcoming projects that you can talk with us about? What's next? Well, I did about the last two weeks of a five-month-long shooting schedule on a great epic directed by Marty Scorsese in northeastern Oklahoma adapted from a great book of 2017 called Killers of the Flower Moon, a story of the Osage Nation in the 1920s, Native Americans who at that time were among the richest people in the country because of oil 
drilling rights on their reservation. An amazing book, an amazing film. That's coming up next year. Uh, I start shooting on Friday a film here in New York City with Julianne Moore. And, wow. and well, and Audible. My latest Audible job, The Guilty. Yes. It's about the third or fourth thing I've done for Audible. And uh, my hats are off to them. How exciting. That is actor John Lithgow. You can listen to his new audio drama, The Guilty, exclusively on Audible. It's the third release in a series of Audible projects from novelist James Patterson. John Lithgow, thank you so much for joining us today. Such a pleasure. It's really fun. I I always love to talk to anyone from Chicago, oh. especially you, Sasha. And we love great. you, too. Thanks, John. <laughs> great. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for today's Reset. For more of our interviews, subscribe to this podcast. And please give us a rating. It helps other listeners find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.